Thank you for joining the Modern SaaS Finance Academy. These courses were curated to guide you on building your competency and craft as a finance professional in the software, SaaS, and subscription industries. Enjoy this session. Well, hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us for this session, the next generation of SaaS forecasting. My name is David Apple, Global Head of the SaaS Vertical here. Here's joining me as one of our great practitioners who really understands this space, who's lived your life, Kevin Wallace, Senior Product Marketing Manager for our planning product. Let's jump into what we want you to learn. Kick off in introductions. Kevin, would you just share a little bit about yourself with everyone? Yeah, definitely, David. Well, first, thanks for having me. Greatly appreciate it. Happy to speak to everyone joining today. Um, so like you mentioned, I'm a Senior Product Marketing Manager for specifically for our product, Sage Intact Planning, which is an FP&A solution. Um, you know, I've been here about two years now. Before, you know, I started my career, I spent about eight years in financial planning and analysis um, you know, across, you know, professional services, verticals, insurance, you know, quite a few different things, consumer retail. So a lot of experience, lived a life, you know, did a ton of accounting, a ton of FP&A work. So I love now where I get to kind of combine both worlds, you know, as a marketer and as a finance professional to, you know, kind of share my thoughts and speak with the audience. Kevin's lived your life and now wants to pay it forward with putting stuff in place to make your lives easier. So I asked him to do this one for me. We're going to just briefly get into accounting versus FP&A, brief, because you might already know that. Then what's the FP&A life cycle? And then what are the best practices in forecasting going through a use case on MRR forecasting for your business? And then some key takeaways in the closing. There's two things we hope you learn. What are the best practices? We want to make this practical, hands-on. If you're deep in the knowledge here, hopefully it's sharpening the saw. If you're not and you're new, hopefully this helps you get even better in your career. And then how can you build your own CMR forecasting model? So I just want to put this against the backdrop. If you've watched some of these sessions, you've seen this before. There's a continuum, a life cycle that your company's going through that you have your role in finance playing. Seed, product market fit, Series A, proving the revenue model. Series B, proving net expansion with keeping and upselling existing customers. Series C and onward, creating gross profit, repeatability in the model. And then the next milestone, taking a capital efficient model, moving to adjacent products, adjacent geographies. And each of these, it pushes you for what is it that you need to forecast on? What is it that you don't know? What is it you need to drive? And so we're very empathetic that based upon wherever you're at in your company model, there's something you need to do. We try to build these best practices to transcend all that, to be able to apply that. So Kevin, why don't you please jump in into a little bit of the meat of the matter? Yeah, definitely. So obviously at Sage, we're going to be best known for our accounting solutions. It's our, it's our bread and butter. Um, that's really where our strength is with the finance solution, you know, just supports it extremely well. Um, but, you know, fundamentally, there's a big difference between what we see in accounting and the role and kind of responsibilities of FP&A. So accounting, you know, everyone knows it's historical. It's looking at those past transactions, to understand what happened in the business over the past you know, specific time period um, and the audience as well, kind of who we're speaking to, who's using you know, the information that accounting is providing. You know, a lot of times it's going to be kind of senior leadership boards. Um, you know, specifically, we then look at the financial reporting, really, what is accounting creating? I think we all know the, the big three reports between our P&L, our cash flow statement, and our balance sheet to really understand the health of the business, kind of a snapshot in time. And to kind of juxtapose that against, you know, FP&A, uh, it is forward-looking. 
So we're kind of taking that historical information and trying to project it forward to understand also where the business is, where it was, and where it's going. Um, and then really, who's the audience for that? It's the business partners. It's those decision makers within the organization who are you know, trying to get us to whatever that the destination is for the organization, what we're forecasting, what we're looking with the forward-looking projections, where we're going, who's going to make those decisions and how we get there, and what do they use to make those decisions? It's kind of what we call management reporting, which is a combination of the financial reporting, those big three statements, plus you know, really the, the business KPIs and the metrics that those managers use on a daily basis to, to manage their business and move the organization forward. So that last slide was all about what is it you need to do as a company, and then this is a what is it you need to do in the role. Go deeper, please, Kevin. Perfect. So the goal of FPNA, there's a couple, you know, different tenets here. You're looking at improving the visibility and understanding the critical financial issues. You know, modern FPNA teams, you know, they're no longer number crunchers. You know, especially CFOs with their broad kind of sense of responsibility within their organizations. You know, when we speak to understanding those critical financial issues, it speaks to being more of a strategic player within the organization of not only identifying what those issues are, but you know, providing solutions that help solve for them. Um, in like the next bullet, identifying the solutions, you know, what's happening in the business? Is it declining profits? Are we going to bring on a new product? Are we going to move to an additional, you know, geography? And what is the impact going to be on the organization? Uh, you know, I can't tell you how many, you know, P&Ls, you know, mock P&Ls I've created in my FP&A career just to forecast different scenarios to understand, you know, what is the impact of different business decisions that we would make? You know, and then influencing and informing decisions for the board, the senior leadership, those functional managers. This gets back to my earlier point around being that strategic advisor, you know, providing more than just the numbers, providing the context you know, to whatever the organization's facing, and then driving change throughout the organization. You know, again, these are the, the tools and the analysis that, that you're doing in FP&A is to really help those end managers, those frontline managers who are you know, pushing the organization forward on a daily basis, helping them make the best decision possible for you know, whatever their respective discipline is. Nice, and jump in on the, the FP&A life cycle. So what is it that the FP&A teams are doing? And this is you know, very a high 30,000 level foot view looking at kind of the, the big key activities. So it, it starts with planning, you know, it's collecting data, creating models, you know, building the plan and the budget for where the organization is going. You know, what's that target destination in the future from a financial perspective? And then it's it's analyzing that information, both, you know, initially while you're creating the budget and then ongoing monthly analysis when you're comparing, you know, what your forecast is or what your budget was to actual data coming through. And then we get into reporting, which again, we mentioned earlier, the management reporting that would create, you know, it's a very common, you know, activity when it comes to FP&A. It's, it's a monthly activity. They're doing it all the time. Um, and then forecasting, and we'll speak to this, you know, later, David, but forecasting, it's an important part of the FP&A life cycle, but not every organization does it, or they're not kind of living up to the forecast potential. And that's, uh, you know, some of the big takeaways that we have today is really how do you elevate and improve your forecasting practice within your organization? Taking variance down is so critical because that's what allows you to make even more informed decisions. We're going to keep building up to that point so you can see how you've been able to Perfect. And let's talk you know, about Excel. You know, it is the most widely used <laughs> product in, in accounting. 
No, I very much call well, myself. I'm sorry, I'm laughing. I'm sure you might be laughing too. What percentage of you use it? Yep. Yeah, well, I mean, it's got to be, I mean, 100%. I mean, you, you can't be an accounting or an FPNA without using Excel. You know, I, I commonly refer to myself as an Excel nerd because I've used the product so much. Uh, but, you know, I think of like, you know, FPNA solutions that we have nowadays. I, I wish they existed back when I was, you know, in FPNA and, you know, just being dominated by Excel. But you know, what we're seeing kind of trend-wise in organizations is Excel is no longer supporting the FP&A function that it used to be. Um, and organizations are kind of investing in technology for finance teams, which hasn't been the case in the past. The, the assumption was that Excel is going to be enough to do the daily activities that FP&A or accounting needs to do. No, no longer the case. And there's a couple of things that you know you might you know as an audience recognize where you know excel is it's a pain point it's just not allowing you to move forward you know are you working you know late into the nights are you working weekends uh, are you relying on just a single person to manage the spreadsheets you know if that person leaves the organization and someone has to step in and figure out how they built this model how they built the budget you know it's a, it's a big risk to the organization you know living in fears of data errors and broken formulas you know again like i said i was you know an excel jockey you know very adept at the tool, but you can almost get too advanced. You know, when you get your models so fancy, once they break, it's difficult to diagnose you know, what that issue is. Um, and sharing the wrong data, you know, it's uh, a big issue of only having that accurate data, but sharing the wrong information with the wrong people, you know, can definitely be you know, issues, especially when you think of, you know, salaries and compensation and things like that. Um, you know, struggling to keep track of the current version. You know, we all have V1, V2, final V1, you, you name it, David. I'm sure you've seen it a million times before. You know, it's just the, the version control is an issue with Excel. Um, and if you're using email for collaboration, you know, with modern office technology, it's gotten easier where you can save things to the cloud. But again, not everyone has taken advantage of that. And you still run into those, you know, collaboration issues. Um, are you spending weeks collecting data and trying to aggregate it from you know, multiple disparate systems into an Excel sheet that makes sense you're trying to blend together? Um, it's not it's not an easy thing to do. And as your organization grows and you have more data coming in and everything's evolving, it just kind of compounds those challenges over time. Um, and I think the other thing, the the biggest issue is the the lack of time to do that strategic analysis. You know, again, when we're talking about you know being that strategic partner in the organization, you know, you have to have the time to do that. And if you are just crunching numbers, sourcing data, just sending out whatever files, you know, just in the nick of time, you know, on a Sunday evening, it, it's you're not adding the value or living up to the full potential that you can, you know, by being that strategic partner in the organization. We want to put all this in place because it once you feel that little unsettled feeling about things that can go wrong because it's going to lead us into then what are the best practices and we've got several slides now getting into the Kevin's going to go deeper on what can you do about it and how you're setting things up and trying to solve these big questions for the company Kevin. Perfect. And just to, to set the stage on, you know, when we speak of forecasting, you know, when we looked at the life cycle earlier, there's the planning and budgeting phase, you know, followed by forecasting. And the planning and budgeting is really the strategic planning. What is that end destination? Where does the organization want to be? And forecasting really tells us where are we going? What is actually happening within the organization? Um, not, and then comparing it to where you're headed. And so to, to start forecasting in your organization, if you're not forecasting now, 
Um, you know, a lot of companies will do it, you know, biannually, quarterly, some even do it monthly. But to, to get started, you know, the first step is really identifying your, your objectives for forecasting. Like, why are you doing this in the organization? What information are you going to provide to those end stakeholders for the decisions that they're making? And it really starts with defining the KPIs. You know, these will be a lot of the same KPIs that are coming over from your budgeting and planning process. But you know, just make sure they're included in your forecast and your forecast models. You know, determining the right frequency. You know, like I mentioned, there's there's different ways you can do it in an organization. But if you look at the organization and follow the flow of business, like David, I'm sure you know, you know, here at Sage Intact, we look at things quarterly on a quarterly basis, where we see a lot of trends, you know, sales-wise always kind of starts lower and moves up towards the end of the quarter. You know, very common in a lot of organizations where there's a, a cycle to, to the business operations. You know, and then to, to start forecasting, if you're not doing it now or you're doing, you know, maybe it's just biannually, not a high volume or high frequency, you know, start small, you know, test and learn. You know, kind of lean towards you know speed rather than change management. You know, you're not going to be able to change a whole organization the way it works, the way they make decisions. You know, just overnight by introducing forecasting. So again, you're providing a tool for them to help make decisions, and it will grow and evolve over time. The point I want to make on this is from that very first slide that we had on what is it you need to accomplish by stage. There's certain metrics your investors are going to be looking for that determine success. Have you accomplished the goals of that stage for your gated capital? Is it worthwhile to invest capital to then get you to the next level? And so there's this investment cadence. There's also the stage that you're at in your market on where you're at against your competition, who's going to forum shiver who on who's going to become the leader and who's going to become a follower in the space and all that. So that's the backdrop that you're trying to manage this against. But here's the things to ask yourself, just the beginning step on identifying your objectives. Perfect. And I think the kind of next best practice step to look at is, you know, where do you forecast? You know, we all know how involved budgeting and planning is. Could you, a lot of times you'll budget down to the GL code level, which, you know, I would argue is a little too detailed. Um, but same thing <laughs> for, for forecasting, where you want to make sure you're you're looking at the most impactful areas um, in the organization that you know likely have the high vol volatility variability. Um, so that would be kind of the first step there is focus on those specific areas with a forecast that will really make an impact. You know, and then you know a lot of times again done through the planning cycle, but you want to make sure your models are built that reflect the organization both in the ways that they operate and then kind of reflect in structure and make decisions. Um, you know, in here we talk about the SaaS revenue. You know, a lot of times when you look at you know the SaaS model, which David you'll get into later, it involves almost every team in the organization from you know marketing, HR, operations, sales, you know, it touches every part of the business. So making sure you're building those models that reflect how the business operates and how it's structured is, is an important element to forecasting and planning. I want to jump back to that slide for a second for everybody. Because here is what folks want to see there in the right hand side. Initial Apple customers, the growth rate, ability to manage churn down and NDR up, profitability and repeatability and what the efficiency is, and then taking it and doing it in the global things across multiple business units and multiple scenarios and multiple geographies, multiple tax things. So there's this backdrop of continuum that you can ask your peers, ask your network, ask your investors, 
in order to get yourself into. But those are the impact areas. We've got a whole nother session uh, on this very topic to go deeper into for the details, but this is the methodology to approach. Perfect. And you know, really quick, going back to that slide, David, the, the term you know, repeatability is one that really resonates with me. You know, I've been in you know, smaller organizations, startup type organizations, all the way to, you know, Fortune 500 companies. And the repeatability is extremely important as you grow. You know, you, when you're really young, maybe when you're in that seed stage, you know, things are going to be new. They're going to be one off. But at some point, you're going to have to kind of programatize or systematize things so you can you know, have something that evolves and grows over time with the organization. And then jumping back to our best practices, you know, building bridges with key stakeholders. You know, again, being that strategic partner, you're helping them make decisions. Um, so bring those stakeholders in in the design process. You know, in theory, you should be bringing them in in the planning and budgeting process, but make sure they're involved in the forecast process as well. Because you know, when you have your forecasts and your plans built with those closest to the business, it's going to be the most accurate, the most achievable, and there's going to be the most ownership by those end managers. You know, and like we mentioned on the previous slide, collaborating with other departments, you know, within your organization, your sales, marketing, operations, HR, you name it, and it ensures that it's a, a fully encompassed, you know, kind of broad forecast or plan that you're building. Then you're building trust with those stakeholders. And, you know, not only is it good for the business to have the trust and the collaboration in the organization, frankly, it's going to be better for your career to have these relationships and provide <laughs> value to these people you know, as you as you grow as an FPA professional. So there is you know, some self-serving aspects in here that um, will definitely benefit you. I, I want to double click on this one for a second, particularly that last point. Trust gets developed when you show competency. And when you show respect for others' boundaries. And the two ways you do that for yourself is by understanding what's important to the business and important to other people and show you're capable of delivering that. And then knowing what's important to you so you can listen and receive what other people are saying important to them and figure out how to build a shared aspiration out of all this. And that's the point we want you to have is a methodology based upon the stage and how you approach it. And there's a a fourth slide here in best practices that pulls it all together. Kevin? Yeah, again, that strategic advisor role, you know, turn those forecasts into actions. You know, again, we don't want to just be number crunchers. No, it's an important element, but it's it's the foundation. It's not the end goal. So it's really what you're going to be building upon you know, for the organization. So develop an action plan that's going to outline the steps required to achieve the goals. If you remember, the forecast is where you're actually headed, not necessarily where the budget is or where the organization's desired kind of end location is, but it's really where you're headed as an organization. And you know, make sure, again, if you're collaborating across your organization, you know, pull those people in, assign responsibilities, understand who's going to take what action items, um, and then you know for the next step, you know, monitor that progress. Again, that continuous collaboration, continuous planning and forecasting. You know, regularly review those forecasts. You know, see how much they deviate from your your actuals, from your budget, to just understand again what those big drivers are. Um, and again, like the last slide, build trust with the stakeholders across the organization. You know, communicate that progress of how you're kind of optimizing towards the forecast and moving the organization forward. You know, don't don't hesitate to you know celebrate the wins and you bring up hurdles that you had to you know cross to you know land on something you know specific that you know move the organization forward. But build trust and communicate is the big takeaway on that one. 
So I, this thing, the conversation's flowing where we had a strategic component, what it is you need to accomplish by stage, and then a tactical component, a little bit of what it is where you can have fall downs. And then this last several slides has been the cultural component and how you organize yourselves to get into it. Now we want to get into the functional component on having all this happen. And we're pulling a classic SaaS revenue model. This is for a mid-sized uh, B2B SaaS firm with a mid-sized price point. So it's not necessarily the high volume or the, the extremely high price point. And you can apply this to your own model. But here's a classic flow. I'm seeing how many visitors and signups are coming into. And then what's the conversion rate coming down into paying customers? And then what's the conversion rate that's turning into in the MRR? And then what's the tracking back to is what's it costing you to win those customers? So here's classic funnel management to apply those best practices. Kevin just put it. Each of these has a measure you want to look at, the component, the other stakeholders that you want to drive, and then an iterative process to constantly see this data. We're going to show some screenshots. It doesn't matter the product. The importance is the flow because you can then put this in place as we've got here and track and be able to estimate and be able to forecast out what you think is happening. What's key to all this is being able to have the fixed assumptions and then like the model lines that come down there. And you want to drop in assumptions that you reflect what it is to prove the model and show it to investors and take in the incorporation of the rest of the stakeholders in the company, the product team with what they built, sales with the engagement, customer success with the tracking and others that are coming in here. So this way you can incorporate, pull in the data that you need to see from this particular example, marketing data, and then track what's happening with conversion with the paying customers. And against this one, here's one simple line at the top of tracking monthly churn. You can drop in other assumptions that are coming in there, but you can see what's happening with retention and engagement, but then the upsell is coming off of that. And then you can get into the MRR. So then what's the MRR on here? And we put some more assumptions in this particular screenshot about this is where you think there's risk in the model on your chance where you think you got a 70% chance of making the plan or the 30% chance of making the plan or the 10% chance of making the plan as you're trying to stress test and iterate different risks that you want to do and marketplace moves, investments that you want to make. This is putting in, this is only possible again, if you've applied the best practices about this. Kevin, anything you want to drop in or mention on this particular thing about the assumptions making portion of the forecasting process? Yeah, you know, a, a couple different thoughts. And my first one, you know, that comes to mind is the the what if scenario analysis. You know, when you yeah. define these, you know, what these values are, what your assumptions are going to be. What if they increase ten percent? You know, decrease twenty percent. What's the best case scenario? What's the worst case scenario? You know, when you build those models in that reflect the organization structure and the correct level of detail, you can quickly see the impact to the business that changing a product price, changing your marketing investment, whatever it may be, to quickly change those and immediately see it on the bottom line to understand the impact is, is super powerful. And you know, my, my other thought, again, going to the first slide, again, the, the visitors and signups, you know, there's not always a clear connection, you know, in terms of volume and then, you know, the, the customers who are actually purchasing or signing up for the product. And so that's where it's important to build this in a way that allows, say, the marketers to make their decisions. 
you know, from an investment standpoint, if you have, you know, only a few, you know, leads coming through on Google, but they all convert to, you know, customers as opposed to say display advertising brings in a huge volume of, of, you know, kind of prospects coming through, but they, they aren't converting. It's, it's not a volume game at that point. It's, you know, how do they then optimize their marketing spend? So again, defining those assumptions, making sure it's at the right detail so those marketers can see what those decisions are, it's super powerful. Thank you, Kevin. Just what we wanted to talk about. But this is the capability that you have. And then the more that you've got this automated, just simply to say, the less you're dealing with all those complexities of formulas going wrong and bad data coming in, because you can drop this in many assumptions as you want in order to put these pieces together. You have to understand the business. And then this drives you back to then CAC, because you can tie in what you think expected marketing costs are where there's variations and variability to come into all that because you know, the magic number of CLTV to CAC is such an important ratio that so many investors are looking at regardless of stage to show how well do you understand your market, how well do your product market fit, and then how much efficiency do you have if you put a dollar into that, what yield will you get out of the back end? And this is the way you should think about how to pull all those pieces together to make it happen. So we had the strategic component, then the tactical component, then the cultural component, and then right there, the functional component, and how to approach this. We're going to bring this, all this to the conclusion. Because here's what it is that investors are looking for, what senior leadership is looking to try to track and understand in order to anticipate what it is they have to accomplish against a, a, a competitive environment and ensuring that they're delivering the value to their customer. And we hope you learn these two things. What are the best practices and forecasting, then how can you build your own CMR forecasting model? I hope this was helpful to all of you. Kevin, any final thoughts? You know, none really. I think the, like you said, the the CAC to LTV ratio, you know, that's one that, you know, all investors are going to look at. You know, David, correct me if I'm wrong. I think the magic number is, you know, one third. Um, when you're in the, the startup phase, I'd be curious to see, you know, what uh, what the answer is or what, you know, the, the audience here would be shooting for in their organization. But I know it's the it's the magic number for sure. Yeah, it's a little bit dependent on the marketplace we're in and the, the valuations right now. Let me just simply say this. As high as you can get it, the better off you're going to be. Uh, exactly. Kevin, thank you as always for the partnership we built and then for paying it forward with how you've taken your career to understand the life of everybody and then try to help them out with some advanced ideas to get there. And for all of you, thank, we really appreciate you spending the session with us and I hope this is able to answer some questions as you progress your own career. Everybody, please have a great day.